welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, for episode 123 of the Get Around Podcast. Joined here by Andrew Rosenthal. I'm James hey. Cook, uh, hosting again because uh, Jake is on vacation slash furlough this week. He's actually at a concert. Uh, he doesn't want to tell us any, or anyone in the world about that for that matter, but he's not here. That's that's the important part. Mm-hmm. So we've got a great show coming up for you. We've got an interview with former Petoskey basketball player Trevor Huffman. We'll have uh, some stories about uh, playing and coaching professionally in Europe, and oh, yeah. uh, he's got a lot of good insight and a lot of uh, a lot of stories uh, to tell. So He's written a few blog posts like on kind of like a Players' Tribune site. I forget what it's called. What was it? Grandstand Central, I think. Right. Yeah. These, are, these are like books, if you've never read them. Like they're, they're very, very long, detailed accounts of what professional basketball is like overseas. Really encourage everyone to take a read on them. We've, we've, we did, and we're going to ask him about a lot of the stories. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, some of the professional sports. We're going to delve into a little bit more here since uh, there's not much really going on in the high school high school realm so we're going to talk mean it's not going to relate to traverse city though yep yep we're going to bring we're going to get some uh, traverse city wrinkles in there just you wait we still got our greatest athlete of all time tournament going on on twitter i have Um, an update on that as well yeah we got round two going up this week we're going to have four each day is going to have uh four different polls that's the important part but we'll, we'll give you guys an update on how that fared in the first round the vote for the goat yeah it's going to be MJ. I'm just saying. I think there's going to be some recency bias in that, and yes, I, I, I think some, I think he's a favorite. Point, MJ's going to have to go up against uh, Wilt Chamberlain, and if that, that you're going to have some hard picks coming up, Mister Mister Ten Thousand. First things first. The big news this weekend: NFL draft. The Lions picked Jeff Okuda in the first round. Cornerback from Ohio State. Yes, Ohio State had like five or six players taken in the first round. <laughs> Or at least if, former, first if, three picks from all former Buckeyes. Yeah, two current and one former Buckeye. Yeah, I mean, that was just crazy. SEC kind of dominates the draft, obviously. How can you not mm-hmm. pick a player that says he went to the University of Alabama? But it was kind of weird to see three Ohio State former, at least guys co- recruited by Urban Meyer, pick first. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't really like that school here in Michigan, but... That's true. Michigan did have 10 players selected. Michigan State had a decent handful. They had a couple of guys that got picked up as uh, undrafted free agents, too. Um, and, uh, you know, Matt Seibert's still looking for uh, to hook on with a team yep. as an undrafted free agent. Of course, um, we had the huge story on Adam Troutman, third-round pick out of Dayton. We're going to have him on next week at our, that, uh, with our podcast. That was the big one, yep. Next week he is, uh, he is uh, already set up to be our guest for next week. So We got two stories on him. Uh, the first was obviously James' is phenomenal, phenomenal, 2,000-word, 84-inch feature <laughs> on how he ate burgers to bulk up at a t- as a student at Elk Rapids. I'm sure he loved the writing and reporting on that. How many interviews did you do for it? It was just I think like ongoing. Eight, I think I interviewed eight different people or something like that about him. Yeah, um, a lot of hours were spent in the right in the writing of and that. And then, profile. and then, yeah, and then Adam himself. I actually talked to Adam himself like months ago. I think it was in January. Was there ever like for a fo- the, for that was story. there ever like a follow up interview? Uh, I I texted him some questions and stuff. I think here and there. Uh, you but, guys don't realize in mostly, the reporting process of these long form features, you just get these thoughts like, oh, why did I ask him about this? So I, I gotta call him back. This this like the, the why didn't I touch on that? Yeah, it ended up being a pretty long story, and then you know he gets drafted on Friday night 
around midnight, so it's too late for us to get a story in the paper on but Saturday. But you managed to do it. Well, we got a story for Sunday. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I managed to get in on uh, some some press conference videos with Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis. And uh, so we got some comments from them. And then we talked to, you know, Adam had his own press conference. He had one with the uh, New Orleans media that night, like almost right after the pick, like a Zoom press conference and stuff. And then uh, the next day he had one for his local media which was mostly tv stations from dayton and and some people from tv and radio or tv and uh, newspaper from around here we're not going to get into too much about what exactly those stories were like i said we have that initial draft story on our website right now we're going to talk about mostly we'll go heavy troutman next we'll go week heavy troutman next week that's going to be a really fun episode in the meantime you got those two long stories about him being picked and the one beforehand that you can uh, delve into if you want to for sure but well, James, what did you think of overall of the Lions draft picks? Um, I mean, Akuda was Akuda was the pick that you kind of had to have when they couldn't make the trade down. Um, you know, there was my hope was that somebody would trade up to number two with Washington to get one of the quarterbacks, and Chase Young would slip to him. I think that was maybe one of the best case scenarios for the Lions because that fills a need and is a great pick. Uh-huh. Akuda was a was a was a need as well, but it was a need that they had created by the, for themselves by trading away Darius Slay. Um, so, so it did fill up a need as well. Um, I think they got a full seven picks in, too. How did they fare later in the draft? Yeah, the second-round pick was a surprise to a lot of people, but uh, DeAndre Swift is going to add uh, a home-run hitter at the running back spot. Um, you know, with him and on Johnson and, you know, Scarborough, and then they drafted another running back later in the draft who was the fastest running back in the draft at the Combine. Um, their running back... Crew is going to be pretty darn interesting and pretty darn deep and dangerous next season. So that'll be interesting to see. In the third round, they had two picks. Uh, they got uh, Julian Okwara, outside linebacker from Notre Dame. He's probably going to be that kind of that, uh, uh, if they continue running the 3-4 defense, he's going to run the kind of the jack linebacker spot where he's going to be the pass rusher. And that's kind of what he's best at. Anyway, so that that filled a need as well. Brother of current Detroit Lion, Romeo Okwara. So the brothers are reunited on defense. It's kind of cool you mentioned Swift because I've heard a lot of analysts say that the SEC really had this. Like when I said earlier, this was the SEC's year to get drafted. I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but Swift they were arguing he's one of the better running backs and it was in the SEC. Lions get him. Yeah, I think I think he was the first running back selected. Think. Oh, no, the, the LSU running back went with the last pick of the first round. Right. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah. Went yep. to the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. They, def- they definitely need a running back, too. Yeah, they do. And then the third round, the Lions uh, went offensive line and got Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, um, who was kind of, I think, more of a uh, more of a pass-protecting guard um, than, a, than a mauler, but he's not a small dude by any means. I think he's like 320 or 315 or something like that. Fourth round, they went right back and took another guard, Logan Stenberg, who is supposedly the meanest player in this entire draft. Hmm. What's how do you measure meanness? Uh, on tape, I guess, and I guess on tape it stands out that he is just a mauler at offensive guard and just likes to just hit people. So that'll be that'll be interesting. The Lions are like six deep at guard now. The training camp battle at guard is going to be really interesting. Fifth round, they took uh, maybe the best name the Lions took, which was Quintez Cephas. Wide receiver out of Wisconsin, 
Um, somebody who Jeff Okuda had said during the pre-draft stuff was the toughest wide receiver he matched up with in college. So that was interesting. I mean, uh, he looks like, I guess his NFL comp is kind of maybe, I would say, Anquan Bolden. And that he's a bigger guy who's going to work out of the slot and isn't necessarily fast, but is a big target who runs runs good routes and, and catches the ball and moves the chains for you. You know, not necessarily the game breaker. Uh, you know, and the Lions have kind of missed that kind of guy at the, uh, at the in the slot since they've had Golden Tate, you know, and Anquan Bolden. Um, and then in the fifth round, they went with uh, Jason Huntley, the running back out of New Mexico State. Um, good running school. Good running back from a bad bad team. Like I think they only won two games last year, but uh, but he stood out. At least his highlight tapes looked really good. And man, is he fast! It's kind of crazy to see the players that get drafted out of bad teams. Hakeem Adeninji out of Kansas. I've interviewed him so many times. He's a big guy, really solid um, lineman. Got drafted in the sixth round. Kind of, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like I said. There's always that one guy that gets picked, or the one guy that gets signed in free agency. Yeah, if you're a Division One school, you should have at least one NFL caliber talent on your roster. I would think. I would hope so. If not, maybe your uh, your recruiters are not doing that good of a job. Because no. the way the way recruiting and stuff is now, somebody always slips through the cracks, and you should be able to get find that guy that slips through the cracks. And but, every player wants to be that player that slips through the cracks too. Yeah, I think Huntley will be. Uh, if if people are looking for an NFL comparison, Huntley will be what J D McKissick has been for the Lions in the last year or so, and Theo Riddick before that. He's going to be the pass catcher out of the backfield, maybe motion out into the slot. Um, he's a really good pass receiver. I don't see him being a very effective runner between the tackles in the NFL. You've kind of seen like a but, later, like a, a lately Tariq Cohen for the Bears. Yeah, something like that. I a mean, backfield he, receiver. Yeah, he's Billy's a receiver. He's a receiver out of the backfield, a burner, um, but not your standard running back in that he's, you're not going to give him the ball and on third and one and ask him to get you a yard because he's small and you can't guarantee that he's going to get it. Um, and then the last two picks, the Lions took defensive tackles. Uh, John Penasini from Utah and Jashan Cornell from Ohio State, going back to Ohio State. And uh, two kind of different defensive tackles in there. Um, the guy from uh, Utah, more of a run stuffer, and just people coming out of uh, scouts kind of all just pegged him as a good backup third tackle to have around to bring in on rushing downs because he's a run stuffer. He, he's not going to bring you much on pass rush. Uh, and Deshaun Cornell is the opposite. He's a, kind of a smallish defensive tackle and uh, is better at pass rush than against the run. And But he, but if the Lions play a 3-4, he could play some defensive end too where you want those bigger ends. Um, at, so at 285, he could do that. So A lot of people say they address their needs in this draft. Would you say so? Yeah. I mean, they get the, you know um, – the one thing I think people don't think they'd got was a, an edge rusher, but I think with Okwara they did. I think most people are looking were looking for a defensive end as a pass rusher, um, but I think the Lions are going to transition a little bit more to a three-four defense than a four-three. Um, so, uh, you know, the standard defensive end that they were looking for, uh, it's going to be more of a, a big outside linebacker, which Okwara is. He's he fits that mold of what they've been acquiring the last couple of years of. 240, 250 pound big linebackers. What were your overall thoughts on the draft? You know, I personally thought 
oh god it's what is going to go wrong with this there's so much that is go going virtual there's so much that is going to be dependent on what people are working remotely and from what i saw it couldn't have gone better it went pretty well i mean it there was, there was i actually thought it would there was kind of some pros and some positives to having a draft where you had players facetiming in with every single pick they were around their families they were having dinner it was a the, everyone was having a party collectively together mm -hmm. i saw then, the video with clyde edwards hilaire getting drafted man he's in tears yeah and i can't remember who the one player was that just when he got picked he just put his head in his in his hands and you could tell he was just crying when he got mm -hmm. he got the phone call and just started immediately crying put his head in, head in his hands and just and just stayed that way i know there like, was like espn and went away from it Talked about him, ran some highlight video, I think, of him, stuff like that. Went back, he was still in the same position. And that was universal, too. Like the, That was the, cool. The, the, the coaches and the GMs, their families were going crazy after every pick. You know, you, we always see the video in the war room when the, all the coaches are clapping for the picks when, when it happened. I think that, I, I think we could possibly see another virtual draft. Call me crazy. I think it was kind of cool. I think it was also, you saw Maybe a lot of the... we don't need a crazy Vegas celebration as cool as it would have been. As cool as it would have been for the mm -hmm. fans, for the people that were involved in this draft, I think they're going to prefer it to be a little more virtual and dumbed down in the, in the future years. And I've seen coaches come out on the record and say, look, maybe we don't need to go extended hours in the postseason. Maybe we just need to work more efficiently. Maybe we need to work more Zoom chats and have spend more time with our families. Because to be honest, I kind of like that. That's mm -hmm. what the GMs were saying. I thought it was kind of more personal than other drafts it, uh, i don't know if it, they intended it to be that way but it ended up being that way right. you know you saw the inside of people's houses whether the whether the draft picks were at their their parents house or at their college apartment like adam troutman was shout out to isaiah simmons with the lenoxa kansas he seemed like he had a cool crib yeah and you got to see the inside of people's houses and you got to see the coaches and the general managers and their houses and everything so i'm sitting there when they would do the close-ups on these gms i'm sitting there looking at like i'm like okay what books did they have on their shelf bookshelf in the background <laughs> it was just those you know and, questions and, you always had like what are these where do these guys live what kind of yeah, managers did they live yeah cliff kingsbury's freaking pad oh god oh my god i mean did you see somebody took and built that out of legos no and but yeah it was like the somebody somebody recreated place. cliff kingsbury's house in legos and posted a photo of it on Twitter. It was pretty awesome. Fifty-five uh, million viewers collect like uh, unique viewers over a three-day span. Is what I heard. Yeah, thirty-seven percent increase from last year, I think, in viewership for day one for the, for the first round. I didn't see the numbers for the other rounds, but I mean that that's crazy. You know, Bill Belichick's dog. <laughs> you know, you got to hilarious. you get you got to see the GM's kids. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was uh, the Titans coach. You know, had his two daughters were sitting in the background, you know, like five, six, seven years old, and they had cheerleader outfits and pom poms, I know and they were doing like cheers in the background and stuff. It would be hard to talk about the draft without talking about some of the criticisms people had on ABC for talking about some kind of extra personal stories. You want to call it that? Yeah, like the was it was it uh, C D Lamb? No, I was don't it that one? It was the players that kind of had a lot of tragic moments in her life. Yeah, I can't remember which one there was, but there was one where when they when they brought up his profile, you know, it said his mom battled addiction for 16 right. years or whatever, and a bunch of people were criticizing ESPN for that, and then he retweeted one of those criticisms and said, "No, my I don't have a, a problem with it at all." He's like, "Yeah, that's a, that's awesome though. My mom was a fighter, and she did this so that she could, you know, bring me and my siblings up and and everything. So I'm proud as heck about that, you know. So some of these things, uh, you know." You can react to them, but maybe the person who it's about has a completely different take than you do about it. 
It's just interesting. I was surprised when I saw that tweet. It turned out to be a pretty entertaining draft overall. I mean, obviously we were paying a little bit more attention than normal because, you know, we had Adam Troutman and, you know, the, the possibility at the end that somebody takes a, a shot at, at Matt Seibert from Michigan State. So we were paying attention the whole day, all three days I was. I mean, I watched up until midnight a lot of NFL <laughs> draft, and uh, it was constantly on at my house. That last segment is always sponsored by Jimmy John's. Two locations in Traverse City, Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's Freak Yeah, Awesome Draft. I, I just That wasn't part of the read. I just made it rhyme with it because the other news in, the NBA, in professional sports this weekend, NBA is kind of returning in states where the lockdown has been uh, kind of lifted, like in Georgia, and depending on how you think of that. The NBA has allowed the teams to reopen their practice facilities to allow players to work out. Do you? Some people are seeing a problem with that. Some people are saying, well, it's pretty much just a gym, just like everywhere else in the city. What's wrong with that? But as both of you and I know, there's nothing really stopping these players from organizing like a practice. Mm-hmm. An organized practice. I mean, they're kind of get, that's kind of going to be the expectation if you're the Atlanta Hawks, as it should be. They're not that good. But <laughs> yeah, I guess the good thing about it would be, I mean, as people have kind of brought up and has been criticized, it seems like uh, professional athletes can get tested a lot easier than the depending normal person on, can. Depending on what you think of that. Yeah. It just is the way it is. That is the way it is. So, I mean, so there's hopefully a, a less likelihood that uh, that these players have it that and can spread it to the others, I, I, you know. If they want to do this, you know, fine. I, I think if they're going to do it, you know what they should do? Put these practices on TV. <laughs> Make some money out of it. <laughs> People are starved for, for... Just put like a webcam or a Twitch stream. Look, look at how many people gobbled up. People sitting on their couch in their apartment Playing waiting 2K. waiting to get drafted. Well, just turn the draft. Yeah. How many people just sat there? The ratings for that were astronomical. People are eager for any kind of sports they can. I think you're going to f- see the professional sports groups try to get something out there, some even if it's content. not a game. They're going to try to get some kind of content out there that's televisable. Would you, a Pistons fan, I'm assuming, watch mm-hmm. a televised scrimmage without any commentary of the Atlanta Hawks if someone stuck a, the, the, of the Atlanta Hawks? Yeah. Uh, Three-on-three scrimmage. It would be interesting to maybe watch and see what Trey Young does, yeah. I think that if you did something like that, it's going to get better reviews or better ratings than pretty much anything that's sitting on ESPN right now that isn't the Bulls documentary. Okay. Even though the Bulls documentary is just live streaming practice for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it's a documentary. Um, But I think people are just so eager for any kind of live sporting events and if you put at least the personalities of nba players into this as well and and let people watch an nba practice because i don't think a lot of people know what an nba practice looks like it'd be the nba's version of hard knocks cool or the nhl if you're listening gary bettman maybe there's an idea yeah speaking of the nhl we actually had an idea for gary bettman it was leaked by i think it was the florida panthers gm or coach that the NHL was considering these regional sites to finish out the season in the playoffs. There was well, apparently a, uh, the University of North Dakota 
was reached out to to see if they'd be willing to host a couple of uh, teams slash games. I know there, there was a story on that I saw. But when we were talking over the last week or so, isn't Center Ice and Traverse City like perfectly set up for that? I would think so, because the, the things that they got to be looking for is facilities. We've got that. We've got Center Ice. And within an hour's drive, you've got, what, five, six other hockey rinks where, you know? So uh, so you got facilities down, somewhat, somewhat isolated. I mean... Somewhat. I mean, we're somewhat pretty isolated here. The amount of coronavirus cases is a lot lower than most other places in the country. You have hotel capacity. We have, yeah, we have the travel capacity, we're the tourism familiar capacity. familiar with hosting a professional sports tournament. You've, Yeah, we've already two hosted the NHL Prospects Tournament and Detroit Red Wings Camp. You've got two NHL-ready sheets of ice that have the new, the new boards and, and all that that meets NHL standards that almost nobody else has you know so if you're going to play games Trevor city there you go hockey town north you could have you could have two games a night at center ice two in the afternoon if you wanted to or you could just do practices in the afternoon two games at night you know you could run it just like the nhl prospects tournament and, and then you could use stadiums are fit for tv from what i understand too yeah they, they yeah they can do that because the new york rangers have brought their their um, the Madison Square Garden network and broadcast the Rangers games in the uh, NHL prospects tournament. So that's been done. Um, you've got NHL locker rooms enough to accommodate eight teams at a time in NHL level locker rooms. Just that. And then you've got Howe Arena, not very far away, which would allow another practice facility. You could be warming up at Howe Arena. Hop on a bus and play a game at Center Ice. Yeah, well, you could just you could just rotate it around. Where right. if you if you if you play a game that night, you practice at Howe, or you know, if you're not playing a game, you practice at Howe. Or you know, there are all kinds of things. And then you've got the Coliseum, you've got the Wex in Cadillac, you've got Petoskey's got its own ice rink, Gaylord, Manistee. There's plenty of ice around here, and we yeah. haven't and we haven't talked to anybody from Center we haven't Ice. Talked to anyone? We're not we're not throwing rumors out there that we're all saying like. But I'd be a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent. Willing to bet a hundred, hundred and ten percent that people at Center Ice would be like, "We're down." Heck yes. Again, we're not throwing rumors out there. We didn't even hear anything this from is, anyone. It's just rampant speculation of our own. We just had these conversations when we started hearing about these regional sites. I do know that the NHL is kind of they're they're, they're trying to shift more towards, let's say, having a conference in Chicago, play all of its games in Chicago, for example. They would have teams just at one ice rink, and they would have two games in a day or something like that. And if you want to do another tournament like that, you've got one more NHL-ready sheet of ice up in the UP. Because uh, I can't know what the, I can't remember which team it was. You know, do you know the the Craft Hockey Town? No. A thing they do every year. The the Craft Company does this thing every year where they have this competition for town, small towns around the country to compete to see who's the best hockey town and the winner gets their rank upgraded to nhl standards and it's always so what what town was that i'm trying to remember i think it was hancock or houghton someplace small in the up isolated enough close to a big metropolitan big enough metropolitan area in marquette that has a bunch of hotels and cadillac (laughs) finished second in that 
like a year or so ago. So they got some money. I doubt they did the NHL upgrades that you have to have to, to actually host an NHL game. So the, the Detroit Red Wings played an exhibition game though, last year in the UP after this. That's the other thing you win is you get one NHL exhibition game played in your rink. Cool. I do know that UFC and Dana White are trying to acquire like private islands to start hosting fights on where they have their own rules. What if uh, the NHL acquired Beaver Island and built a, a rink there? That would be cool. Yeah. But we were thinking that if the NHL wanted to do this and do, like, tournaments, do, like, mini tournaments, if they had four locations around the country to do this that were isolated enough that one had NHL be, rinks. One would probably be, like, Traverse City, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Calumet. The NHL could do this if they wanted to, and people would eat it up. You could televise them all. Hey, Gary Bettman, where are you at? If, if the NHL can beat everybody else back to the punch and get stuff on television, it'd be big ratings and draw a lot of hockey fans in. Because a lot of people who are waiting for other sports to start up would watch hockey that maybe don't normally watch hockey. I don't think Traverse City would ever stop being mentioned on ESPN if that were the case. The town that brought sports back. That's going to bring us into our interview with Trevor Huffman, former Petoskey and Kent State great, who then went on to play a couple years of uh, overseas basketball and then coached there too. As always, we're sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. We'll take a listen to that right now. All right, we are joined this episode by former Petoskey great Trevor Huffman. Went on to play at Kent State and uh, professionally for a while for the Phoenix Suns and then over in Europe and then coaching in Europe and coaching now. And you just came back from Belgium, you said, right before right before all this pandemic stuff yes. happened, right? Which was probably a challenge in and of itself. Yes, well, thanks for having me on the show and glad to yeah, glad to be back in Michigan safely. Yeah, it was a pretty wild um, adventure home. I was supposed to fly out of Belgium, out of Brussels. They canceled our season. My first year head coaching, you know, I'm basically lost all my hair. What little hair I had left is now gone. And they they basically like, hey, the season is over, and you're not going to get paid. And welcome to European basketball. So I was basically confronted at that point with, do I stay? try to collect, um, they basically had a coronavirus fund for all the pro athletes, which is uh, through the players' union and the coach, you know, coaches' union, all that stuff. So they basically had, we had access to a fund if we wanted to stay. But all I could keep thinking about was, okay, my mom, my dad, I don't really know what coronavirus, how bad it could get. I've, I'm watching Italy develop. You know, Spain is starting to go bad. And I, I basically just kind of panicked, and I was like, I'm leaving tomorrow. And uh, luckily, I booked the ticket and was about to leave the next the next day. And the Belgian border got shut down, so I had to fly. I had to drive to Amsterdam with my dog, and just yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a stressful return home. Um, but yeah, I made it. And now I'm now I'm downstate, um, hanging out with my younger brother D two, and uh, my my father lives down here, and just haven't seen a stranger in seven weeks. It's really weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, and you had to be quarantined when you came back, right? That was was that pretty much a requirement yeah. for uh, for flying back. 
Yep, yep. So I had 14 days in a, uh, a rental house with no furniture. I, I have a rental business down here and a small rental business, and one of my rentals was was uh, vacant. So I was like, well, I'll just move in there uh, and, you know, kind of get my 14 days, and, and my brother and my dad brought me some food, and that was, you know, that was a little bit strange to be one day in Belgium, you know, across the world, and then the next day you're in an empty rental house in Flint, Michigan, not exactly the creme de la creme of cities in America or Michigan. And, you know, you're just kind of like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. So this was, you said your first season as a head coach, what was it, what was it like just transitioning from a high school player to through college, just through the ranks of basketball? What was your journey? Yeah. Especially going from player to coach. From, I, I think, well, first off, I would, I, the coaching thing, I've always been more of a micro coach where um, I really enjoy the process of helping players get better on a micro level, with, meaning, you know, uh, movement or skill work or playing one-on-one or just how can you get better on your own or with a, with a friend or with a parent? What's the best? approach to getting better and that's always kind of been how i've coached that's how i coached my little brother um that's how i've coached kids that ask me for guidance um and so i've always been more of a a, you know kind of on that that one-to-one basis so when i got asked to coach a team it wasn't really on my radar i was in chicago doing a startup uh called swish house which is basically me trying to connect to basketball again because i missed it um, but I didn't really want to go the college coaching route. I didn't really want to give up my lifestyle of traveling and, and, and having the freedom to go, you know, go up to Northern Michigan, see my mom at Torch Lake, or go go hang out with my brother in Seattle. Um, so the the coaching gig came out of nowhere, and it was basically from an old club that I used to play for uh, called Okapee All-Star, and they're right outside Brussels. And when I played there, that's where my brother D2 and I played together, when he graduated from Brown University, so uh, and at that time I was the I was the import player of the year, which is basically you know the the American player of the year, guard of the year. You know, coaches the coaches pick an MVP, and and they chose me that you know one of those years. And so D two and I got to play together, and I had we had great times at this club. We won games. We qualified for the International League. We got. You know, we got to the semifinals of the league, like two out of three years. So it was, and it was a small family. It's basically the size, you know, Petoskey in the summer. Imagine Petoskey, you know, with a bunch of people and, and you put a, put a gymnasium in there and you fill it up. It's just like playing at Central Gym. The, you know, it was an old gym, little cracker box gym and, and just lines out the door to, to watch, uh, watch basketball in Belgium. So they basically asked me to come back. Uh, to kind of reinvigorate the the old culture of Okapi because they had lost it. They had basically finished in the bottom of the bottom of the league for the last few years. They'd gone through a bunch of coaching changes, and um, they said one. You know, it was kind of like Steve Kerr never got uh, had a coaching job. He was just kind of doing stuff around basketball. Uh, not that I'm comparing myself to Steve Kerr, guys. I'm not, no. but he, <laughs> I would. Yeah, that would be he's on another level, but the, you know, I basically said, I'll try it. I'll do the, uh, they offered me a two year or uh, one plus one contract, which 
you know, in Europe means absolutely nothing because I'm not going back next year. And, you know, you, you never know when you go over to Europe what's going to happen. But the, mm-hmm. the transition to coaching was um, basically just a, an accident. Um, and I just said, man, if I'm ever going to be a head coach, it would be a pro head coach. Uh, it would be such a cool experience. You know, I get to. I, I thought I was going to get to pick a lot of my own players from college, so I was going to be the scout, the GM, the head coach, uh, and that you know didn't turn out to be entirely the case. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I used. The, I tried to just look at players when I was scouting them, kind of like I did as a player. What what body language do they have? Um, are they working hard when they're when things are going wrong? What I'm, you know, I was looking at a lot of the intangible things. Do they make players better around them? Um, and the three guys that I got to scout all ended up in the top. Um, they all ended up in the top, basically fifteen in the in the index ranking, which is basically like adding up all your points, assists, rebounds, uh, steals, free throw. You know what your percentages are, and, and, and they get ranked based on the the index. So they, I had they we had I did a pretty good job of that. I was pretty happy with um, my scouting. I, you know, but at the end of the day, I also didn't get to pick the other six guys. So. Six of the uh, nine were chosen by Oakby. Three of the three of the nine were chosen by me. And um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then I, I came in and started coaching with no experience. Never, never really coached. Uh, never put a system together. You know, just kind of. I've been out of the game for almost four years, so it was really, it was, it was really uh, an eye-opening experience. One of the things that I know about European basketball, and I read this in one of your blog posts, is that a lot of these leagues set a limit on the amount of American players that you can have on a team, where does Belgium rank in that? And what was their rule specifically? In, in Belgium, how many players could I have and from, from America yeah. for a foreign? So there, Belgium has a rule that you can have five foreign players. So I picked, um, so I had, I had a player from Belmont university uh, named JJ Mann, who he beat North Carolina uh, on the last second shot at UNC one year had that six threes, a really great shooter, a uh, great guy. And then I had uh, a kid, Riley Lachance, who played at Vanderbilt. Um, he's a second, he was a sophomore, so second year out. Great kid, great, um, great guy, quiet, just Stephen Curry type shooter. Um, and then the third, um, third guy I had was actually Croatian, but he played at DePaul. Uh, and then the other two were both Montenegrin. So I actually went like Balkan Peninsula, heavy, which, uh, I, you know, I found out there, it's a very hard culture, uh, to coach just cause they're so competitive. I mean, Vladi Divas, you guys, mm-hmm. don't know, you know, you guys probably follow some of those, yep. those legends in the NBA. Uh, I mean, there are legends all over Europe that, you know, whether they're coaches or the, they're Serbian or they're Croatian, they're Montenegrin, they're, uh, they're, cra- they're not crazy. They're just, they're basically crazy. <laughs> they compete so hard; it's almost detrimental to the rest. Of, you know, it can be detrimental to the to the team because you know, guys, they're just not you're just not used to that level of intensity. Like they're swearing in this foreign language; you don't know what they're saying. You're like, just calm down, or you just missed a shot. It's not the end of the world. So their their culture is so different. You know, it was a really uh, interesting. You know, trying to like get them into the into the flow with the American players was, uh, I think was a big challenge for me. So. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the culture, uh, one of the, one of the things you wrote for grandstand central, and I would recommend to our readers that you go, uh, our audio, audio 
listeners, audible viewers, audible viewers as we refer to them, uh, to go uh-huh. go read these articles. Uh, but the the one you had about how you get paid in Europe was yeah. was just fascinating. It, it, tell me one or two of the stories about that. You had some stuff that it, it almost seemed like a, a mob deal, almost. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's basically, you know, when you when you start off your career in Europe. Um, you know, I don't know, I, like when I came from Northern Michigan at that time, I, I graduated in 1998. I, I think every single coach that I had, that had, ever, you know, basically ever spoken to me or that I asked questions, how do I get better to, you know, from Wolverine camp to, you know, to all the camps I went to, I think every single coach was like, you're from Northern Michigan. Uh, you know, don't just enjoy your education, like go get your education you know, the D1 and these things are kind of out of reach for Northern Michigan guys. So not that you can't play college, but, you know, really keep it in perspective. So I remember I used to do, I take, I always took that stuff really personal when I, you know, when I was a kid. So when I got over to Europe and, you know, I was just so happy to be there. I was like, you know, I'm, I was like, I'm literally paving the way, or I wanted to pave the way for Northern Michigan kids to A, play division one, I wanted to give them hope. I wanted to like try to inspire, kind of change the the narrative around Northern Michigan kids not being able to play basketball. Because really, I really took it personal in high school that no, you know, basically no, you won't be able to play professionally. You won't be able to play D one. So uh, when I got over there, I thought this is going to be a dream. This is going to this has been a lifelong dream of mine. Welcome to Europe. Let's go. You know, like everybody's gonna, everybody's going to love you. You're going to get a car, a house, you know, you are going to live the high life. You're going to live like a king. That is not true. Yeah, from when I heard stories from uh, players like Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird, that's exactly what you described. You just feel like, oh, when I get off that plane, everything in my life is going to change. Yeah, it's not. And it's not that way. Um, I got cut from the Phoenix Suns and, uh, you know, came home. Helped out with uh, Coach Starkey, and my little brother was a senior that, uh, at Petoskey. So I was basically at home for two months working out, lifting, and my agent called me. He's like, hey, we got a job in Poland. I was like, yes, all right, let's do it. How much? And he's like, five grand or six grand. So it was some, or 6,500. I'd have to go back and, and look at what, what I uh, put down. But it was like, uh, not, it was more money than I'd ever made, but I'd never played in Poland. Um, and I didn't know that, you know, some countries have basically no rules and Poland was one of them. Um, so, so when I got there, you know, they picked me up, uh, from Warsaw, I had two bags. They drove me, it was was like a five hour drive. Like Poland got no highways once you leave like the main city area. So it was basically like farm roads, bumpy, you know, I remember just like waking up like, where the heck are we? Like, you know, they stopped and got me some McDonald's. We finally, finally get there. You know, uh, it's just this rinky old city. I mean, it looked like a scene out of a World War II movie. It was basically the most depressing place I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I started playing. I was playing great. Like, the first five games, I was averaging 20 points a game. You know, the coach took me in, you know, took me to get paid. And he's, you know, he's, I think he's telling the guy that I'm, you know, the future MVP of the league and I got a translator because the coach doesn't speak English and we're in the back of an appliance store and there's like metal bars. And I'm like, why am I getting paid 
in the back of an appliance store. I don't get this. Like, this is really awkward. And it was just, it was just so awkward. Cause I don't, I don't know what's happening. Do I, you know, the guy's got the money, but he's not giving, he's not handing me the money through the bar. So I'm like, like, do I put my hand under there? Is he going to chop my hand off? Like some mafia stuff. Are they even happy with me? I don't know. So it's just like a really, and by the end of the season, I had gained basically 25 pounds. I basically hit rock bottom. Like that was the first time in my life I'd fully been, I was fully depressed, like full on depression. I was, it was dark. It was cold. Uh, I'd never, I'd never drank before. Like I was, I was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty green, you know? And, and I just, all I cared about was basketball and, and Poland basically just broke me down to the point where I started, uh, you know, I started tasting vodka for the first time. I started going out, you know, I was basically just like, I don't even care about basketball. And, uh, that was like the first time I gained, literally gained 25 pounds while I was a pro basketball player. My, my, points per game went from like 20 to 14 13 points a game and they did not they gave me a fake check on the last on the last basically to get me to leave because i wouldn't leave until they paid me so what they did was they they gave me a avoided check that they said okay you can cash this check uh on the way to the airport and so they gave it to me the next day i was flying out i went into the bank and they were like yeah this this check is voided they already voided it i was like oh I'm not going back. So, and that was it. That was my Polish experience. I vowed never to go back. You played a couple more years after that, though, in different leagues, correct? Yes, that's true. Yeah, so that that was basically the uh, the kind of um, I basically kind of hit bottom, and then um, and I think a lot of American players go through this. They just don't talk about it. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of American players are just either they quit. Most players quit. I, I would say. I, I would imagine that a lot of on the fringe type college players that are all league D2, D3, or D1 even, it's not the skill level, it's not the talent, it's the culture shock that get them that basically in their career. And um, so for me, it was like, man, I'm done. I'm coming back to this. I played in the CBA uh, in the Grand Rapids or the um, Birch Run. I played in Birch Run, fellas. Like, it was amazing. I played for the Birch Run Storm. And we were. I didn't even know that there was a team in Birch Run. Exactly, we were essentially semi-pro with Will Ferrell. I was the guy <laughs> wrestling the bear. It was it was outra- it was so much fun. I had so much fun playing the CBA that it kind of like brought me back. It was so it was like a we were riding the bus. We were riding in like broken vans and guys like guys on that team. I think every single guy on that team. I mean, I mean they were just characters. You know they would. And I don't think any of those guys ever went to Europe. You know, they never, they were just American. They just stayed and played in the CBA. They loved the lifestyle of being American and playing semi, you know, pro ball. And I, I eventually went back and uh, went to, um, I played with a guy named Greg Stempen, uh, all the Northern Michigan people. I don't know if you guys remember that name. He played at Toledo. Wait. Okay, yeah. But, but, but he was from Gross Hill down in Detroit and a really good player. So we, we actually did a package deal to Portugal. We had the same agent. So we played together in Portugal, and that kind of reinvigorated my – I just loved playing with him, and I basically had a friend. You know, it was basically just like, wow, this is the first time I've ever had a friend. Uh, it makes a huge difference when you're trying to assimilate a new culture, make new friends, uh, win game, you know, go through the, the European experience. 
So when you were playing in the CBA, were you kind of like the Monix of that team? I was, I was the last. I was like the only white guy on the team, other than Greg. Um, and they, they thought that I was just like a character. I, I, I bought a house in Flushing, which is the house I'm in now, and uh, probably the worst investment I ever made because the real estate market tanked like three years after I bought it. Um, but the yeah, the CBA was fantastic. I can't believe I got to go. I've never been to the Grand Rapids one. Have you guys ever been to that? I have not. I'd like to go check them out just and see if it's as poorly run as mine. My experience was because it's like an entirely different CBA now, right? Than yeah, than, than used it, to be back in the day. Yeah, different organization, just under the same name. Yeah, agenda. yeah, G League. Yeah, I mean it's it's completely different. I'm, I actually had the G League, uh, the G League scout actually, or I don't know what if he was the uh, he he. Oh man, LinkedIn was asking me about players in Belgium. So I don't know if he was the GM or the, oh, you know, like part on the on the management team. Mm-hmm. But I think the G League is, is run a lot more professionally. Uh, the players are paid a lot more. I think. Yeah. Like in the CBA, I think most of us were getting like two to three thousand a month, or like you know seven hundred bucks a week. I think that's what I was making, which to me was huge. I was that was like. I could go rent movies at Family Video all day long with that cash. <laughs> you said you got what, was it was sixty five hundred. You said from the Polish team. Is that a month, or was that for the whole season, or no? That's a, a month. Bonus? That was a month. No, that's a yeah. So that was like sixty five hundred euros a month, somewhere around there. And a euro is worth like um, a buck and a half. So yeah, that, back then there were it was great. It was basically so that's like, like ten grand. It, you know? Yeah. So it was making yeah. So it was a lot of money, but I didn't even care. At the end of the day, I was like I. I turned around, I had multiple offers to go back, you know, to back to Europe the next year. And I said, no, I'm, I'm playing in the CBA. I'm here to wrestle bears. <laughs> Did you ever get to wrestle a bear? I haven't yet. Um, but if, you know, my, uh, my grandparents used to come to my CBA game and they like during the national anthem, my grandma had dementia, but she like when the national anthem started, she would start, she would start, like, there's not many people. Imagine the CBA. You're basically in the um, that convention center off of Bertrand. I don't know if you guys see yeah, it. They usually yeah. have, like, yeah, right off the highway. Star Wars. Yeah, they have, like, Star Wars conventions in there and stuff, and which I go to as well. But, the, the you know, you're basically, like, in the in the gym, there's, like, ten people there, and my grandma is literally talking to me during the national anthem. <laughs> like, she's like, Trevor, don't get fouled. No early fouls. And I'm like, Grandma, you can't talk to me before the game. You can't talk to me during the game. And, like, she, one time they called a timeout. She, she like, was walking across the court to come tell our coach something. You know, stuff like that is just, like, <laughs> priceless to me. It is great. Uh, can you fill us in a little bit about what you're up to now? I, I, said, I know you're, you have a coaching uh, company. And you're kind of, you, you told me, yeah. you told us before you're, you're coaching virtually through Zoom. Yeah, so the coaching stuff, um, I started uh, Huffman Basketball, which is essentially, uh, I kind of use the Huffman name because um, I have in my family, I think we have, I think my cousin Jimmy counted 15 Huffmans that have played college basketball in two generations. So um, basically our life growing up was playing basketball, getting coached by my our aunts and uncles, and Christmas Day was a three-on-three tournament we do, you know, we go play three-on-three with my uncle Jamie, who 
played with Magic Johnson, and my dad played at, you know, Albion. Uh, you know, so it was, Huffman basketball is essentially kind of like, you know, taking what I've learned from how we, how we, you know, developed our games as kids. For me, Huffman basketball was just basically sharing what I learned throughout, um, throughout my life um, and sharing what all the Huffmans have, you know, basically accomplished, which is, you know, having this huge family of basketball in our, in our blood and in our, in our, in our heritage. And so for me, it was kind of like, I want to pass on what our family knows and what I know and what my little brother knows. And you know, there's so many different ways to improve at the game of basketball. There's so many different positions to master. Um, you know, you're always a work in progress. You're always trying to get better. Uh, and, and that's kind of like the mantra I use at Huffman basketball. So for me, it was, I remember when I was playing overseas, I was, or even in high school, I remember I got, I wasn't mad, but I was, I was like, where is Dan Marley? You know, where is Dan Marley? I want to play him. I want to play against him. You know, he's from Northern Michigan. He should be here. You know, that's how I felt. Of course, I'm, you know, I don't really, you know, you, you make millions and millions of dollars. There's tons of pressure on you. People want your time. They want your energy. I get why Dan Marley might not come back or he has a private life. But, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, fun fact is when I was with Phoenix, uh, I got Dan Marley actually helped me a ton. He took me, he basically drove me around Phoenix, took me out to eat, played, we went shooting together at the YMCA. We actually played one-on-one, which to this day, the best I've ever played anyone in my entire life is Dan Marley in one-on-one. I beat him the first game so bad that I thought I was going to play in the NBA forever. Uh, and then he, we played a second game, and he beat me 11-0, to zero, and I thought, I will never play in the NBA. This man is retired, and he just whooped my butt. He just, he just basically man-childed me. And I was like, and, then, and now you watch this Michael Jordan thing, and you're like, and then Michael Jordan did that to him. It just shows you the perspective of how good these guys are. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, so anyway, the, uh, the whole Dan Marley diatribe was, I wanted to, I always wanted somebody to come teach me or work with me or play me in one-on-one because that was, you know, at the highest level because that's where I dreamed of going. So for me, it was kind of coming back home and connecting with the kids, connecting with the families, connecting with the coaches that are all, you know, whoever, whoever it is, you know, for me, it was just a Northern Michigan and this kind of mission to come back and inspire the kids and get them playing but also get them uh you know learning what they what they can take from sports you know what why is willpower why is discipline why is motivation you know why is doing something 21 you know i have a 21 day challenge with up in basketball i challenge all the kids to play basketball 21 days in a row and if their parents can confirm that they do it they get like free gear free swag and for me, it's just about teaching kids that they can control what they can control, whether it's if they want something bad enough, they, you know, they have to put in the time and they have to be consistent. And, uh, and, and then on top of that, if they need drills or exercises or, uh, you know, they can follow me and be part of the community. And so, yeah, that's it. And lately I made an online club, which is something I've just been testing, experimenting with, where families can send me video you know, for a dollar, for five bucks a month, they can send, you know, five minutes of videotape of them training or playing. And I'll just kind of give them feedback, give them ideas, give them drills to do for 21 straight days. 
and just kind of help to you know tutor or mentor the, the the kids and the families really because a lot of families out there I think that you know don't understand what goes into being uh, a successful basketball player or reaching your potential as a basketball player. So that's why I started that. Mm-hmm. Do you still do any playing anymore, like in tournaments like the the Finnegan tournament here in Traverse City or anything like that? They tried to get me to, but I'm smart, guys. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't. I try not to tarnish my reputation with because uh, I'm out of shape. One, uh, I don't play, uh, but every you know, I think I stopped playing in 2014. Um, I think I played like one or two years. We, I think, I think we won it. Uh, like right after I got done playing, we won it, and then and then the next year, I think I went to the I went sailing for six months in the Caribbean. And I came back, and they tried to talk me into playing. The day I came back, I hadn't done I hadn't done anything for five months, and they made me play. And I'm just lucky to be alive. <laughs> yeah, because they get some pretty good college players stuff from that playing that tournament. Yeah, I'm wondering and, if they'll be able to do that this summer. Yeah, I mean Sean Finnegan, um, and and they, he's just done a great job of organizing that, and and. Um, you know, it'd be great. I think the best thing I could do now is just be a, you know, be a coach, be a GM, and kind of put teams together to try to take Sean Finnegan off the top of the mountain. Because, you know, now now that I can't play, he's just rolling through people. You know, he's a pretty so, frequent listener of the podcast, from what I understand. Good. I'm glad because I hope he's listening to this. Sean, I'm going to build a team, and I'm coming for your top of the mountain. That's not. I don't know if that's true. That's me wishing that I could GM a team. Like him. Well, I guess you had good experience. Well, there you go. You got a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. I mean, you know, like it to me. There, it's great for Northern Michigan to see uh, that talent come up. You know, I think um, I don't remember some of the guys that we played against. You know, there's there's you know there's maybe ten fifteen pros in the gym. You know, if I was a Northern Michigan high school, I would try to put a team together of all the top. Northern Michigan high schoolers and play in it because you know what a what a great experience you know when to play against pros play against college guys uh, I remember when I was a senior in, in at Potosi John John Flynn and I used to go to every Gus Macker in the state as juniors and seniors and play on the top men's court we would you know we'd get our butts kicked sometimes sometimes we'd win but we'd always try to go out and find the guy you know those guys that were playing in college playing in the pros that just could you know teach you so much about what level they're at and how much further you have to go. It's always weird going to a Gus Macker tournament. I mean, like way back in the day I went and played in one and like Kevin Johnson was playing on another court. I'm like, what? What's like going on here? KJ from KJ from Phoenix Suns? Yeah. What? He was playing on like the top men's court or something, I think. It was it was weird. Where? Where was that? I think it was the original Belding one or something. Oh my I gosh. Remember. I mean, was, I think it was yeah. after he was done. Obviously, after he's done playing and stuff, but yeah, I think you know got a lot of guy like I missed, I missed you know you miss that competition, but then at a certain point, you know you you realize that it's sometimes not worth it. You know your knees, your ankles, your back, like everybody's got to go to work on Monday. That sort of mantra, and, and so that's why when I went to Chicago, I started a, a Swish House, um, is a fitness startup for adults, basically that want to stay connected to basketball. But, you know, basically just kind of keeps you playing, keeps you active, keeps you, you know, basically working out with fitness and basketball at once. And so I basically designed that class for, 
for myself, but also for guys out there that, you know, basically we're kind of transitioning into like the, you know, the twilight of their careers, you could say. And um, mm -hmm. not that you can't, not that you couldn't be a great player and take the class, but it's basically a 60 minute fitness class. Just, we're just trying to burn a thousand calories in a fun way with a basketball. So for me, it was, um, it was fun because I could do that. I could still compete and shoot and do fun games. And, you know, it's essentially like the crossfit of basketball fitness. That's kind of how I viewed it. And, and, you know, that's going really well. So I'm trying to bring one up to Traverse city eventually. Um, you know, once we're, once we're ready to expand. So that would be really fun if I could do that mm -hmm. with, with Northern Michigan people. And Awesome. Well, thanks for giving us uh, so much of your time, uh, I mean, it's it's been it's been good chat here, and uh, you know the warning sign is uh, sent out there for Sean Finnegan that uh, Trevor Huffman's coming for him. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's time, Sean. You know, I, you know, Sean and I are are real good friends, so I I've, I've always appreciated his uh, his competitiveness in that league. In fact, I think he should play. He should have to play at least a half for them to win. Mm -hmm. There you, you know, go. Maybe that that could be a rule. challenge, Sean. Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Thanks so much to Trevor Huffman for coming and visiting with us. Some uh, some great stories there. That interview brought to you by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's. Freak yeah. All right, Andrew, for our last segment here, we're going to uh, reveal our winners in the, uh, the GOAT vote, as we're calling it, the greatest athlete of all time. Uh, and uh, just take it away. Yeah, you know, in hindsight, we probably should have had in, like, uh, Federer... Um, after I watched the Jordan doc this weekend, could have made a case for Dennis Rodman over some people. Yeah, I mean you you could. Yeah, I mean you can make cases for for people, of course. But Feder but Federer, yeah, Federer's got a chance. But is he is he is he going to win this thing? No. I, there were people in the first round where I'm like, man, this this person's awesome. Really vouching for. Didn't even make. Didn't even get any votes. It's kind of like arguing about the the 65th seed in the NCAA tournament. It's like, yeah, you can argue who should get that spot, but you know what? They're not going anywhere. We're here to talk about 32 players that made it on to the next round. Uh, you can see the results of all these polls on our Twitter thread. We don't really have the time to go over th um, all the results like we did with Starch Madness and Snack Madness. But we do want to talk about Jor Michael Jordan Barry Bonds. Those were two players that were pretty darn close. We're going to have some really good matchups in the and second then round we have, And then we have Wilt Chamberlain and Barry Sanders. That's going to be a dogfight. And you got to think, of those four players, only one of them is going to make it to the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. They're in the same half of that region. Yeah. That is dang good. And then yeah. in the opposite half of that region, you got Deion Sanders, who beat out Jerry Rice. You've got Venus Williams, Wayne Gretzky, who beat Mariano Rivera. And Usain Bolt. Who outraced Richard Petty. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, a, pretty good, that's a pretty good region right there. Move on down to the, uh, the lower left-hand region. you got Rafael Nadal, so you still have a tennis player in there. Those of you who wanted Roger Federer. 
you could vote for uh, for uh, Rafael Nadal in Look, his matchup with Peyton Manning. This is my bad opinion, but I feel like Nadal and Federer are basically the same player anyways when they face off each against each other at last six and a half hours. But then again, I don't know anything about tennis. That's true. They, I mean, they are pretty even. So, I mean, if, I guess, you know, there's an argument that if Nadal made it in, that Federer should have made it in. And that's pretty valid. How but, about we but, retroactively you know. make it a duos pair between Nadal and Federer? I know they're, yeah, they're, I know I they're know. singles I don't know players, that we should change the rules at this point. But if you want to consider it that, go right ahead. Yeah, we're not the, gonna, we're the, not gonna the tennis folks are going to vote for Rafael Nadal against Peyton Manning anyway. So there you go. Yeah. Pete Rose, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Ooh. Don't really know if we have to talk about that one. Hank Aaron and Tiger Woods. Secretariat actually got 15% of the votes in that poll. Hey, a horse versus a tiger. Tiger wins. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tom Brady. Tom Brady uh, took care of things pretty easily against Scott Hamilton. Uh, Pele beat Jenny Finch. By a slimmer margin than I thought. Yeah, that was one of our more competitive votes, I think. Uh, Jenny Finch so actually got like 27% of the votes. Yeah. Um, I mean, she is one of the greatest softball players like ever played a game. Probably the greatest. And we then, yeah, you go over to the other half of the brackets. Uh, you know, we got Floyd Mayweather beat Carl Lewis. Maria Sharapova beat Patrick Mahomes. Ooh. I know you were really pushing for yeah, Mahomes to be in there. I was like, wait a second, Patrick Mahomes lost. Yeah. Kobe Bryant beat out Steph Curry. Joe Montana, I believe, crushed Neymar. Yeah, wasn't even close. Yeah, uh, Babe Ruth beat Jim Thorpe. Oh. Serena Williams. Hey, we got, we got one Vaughn. player. We got one guy from Lawrence, Kansas, already in the, in the next round. Yep, and then you, then you got Simone Biles versus Magic Johnson in the next round. Dale Earnhardt against, and this one was a tie, an actual tie. So what we said we were going to do with ties is that the uh, the three of us, Andrew, Jake, and James, would uh, put together our votes, and whoever won that vote would we'd break the tie, so we'd be kind of like the vice president in Congress. For transparency, I voted for Jesse Owens. Jake and I voted for Jack Nicholas. And that's what happened. Just, uh, I mean, that's a, t- yeah, but Jack Nicholas dominated golf for so long. Jesse Owens was amazing. I'm not taking anything away from, from Jesse Owens what whatsoever, did. but Jack Nicholas also had longevity and did it for a long, long time arguably the greatest golfer of all time the only other person that you could probably even throw in that conversation uh it would be maybe ben hogan tiger woods like nobody arnold palmer maybe but it's like it's like who do you throw into the conversation with jack nicholas the one of the good baseball matchups was mike trout versus bo jackson bo jackson came out with with that one and mickey mantle beat lionel messi and like you said speaking of you, you know, you Arnold Palmer, I, go he back, loses to Michael Phelps. But going back to that, there were people that voted for Mike Trout over Bo Jackson. Recency bias. I mean, you know, th- there's there's probably a lot of people who aren't old enough to have ever seen Bo Jackson play. All right. And if you haven't, go back and watch the 30 for 30. All right, we're finally going to talk about Arnold Palmer. We were ditching to be, you know, I need yeah. an Arnold Palmer right now, to be honest with you. And so does Arnold Lost. after losing to Michael Phelps. Yeah. Michael Phelps probably made the greatest male swimmer of all time. One of the greatest Olympians ever. Yeah. And then Muhammad Ali beat Marta. Gordy Howe beat Mia Ham. So the soccer players here not faring very well. Did anybody from soccer get through the second round? Pele. Pele, yeah, okay. Pele beat Jenny Finch. That's the only soccer player they got through. Wow. And then LeBron James beat Cristiano Ronaldo, another soccer player who... Uh, that was a tough matchup against LeBron. Well, Pele has Tom Brady next. 
So we will be posting these second round matchups on Twitter all week. Uh, the, the, the matchups get decided by you, the audible viewer. And uh, we, we only get to break ties, so, so this is all you. So we got to see who you want to win the greatest of athlete of all time. So go out and do the GOAT vote. So that's episode 123, folks. We'll be back next week talking to Elk Rapids alum Adam Troutman and his experience with being selected in the draft by the New Orleans Saints. We'll see you next week. We're out. <laughs>